Turn with me, if you would, please, to Gospel account of John and the third chapter. John 3, we'll begin in verse 14. It said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Back up, verse 15. Whoever believes in him should not perish. That's what happens if you don't have eternal life. You perish. But have eternal life. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Down in verse uh, 36, toward the end of the chapter, he said a similar thing. He said, he that believes on the Son hath everlasting life. We'd say has. That's present tense possession. We're not in the process of getting eternal life. The believer has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And we've gone into some of this in earlier parts of this series, that many people try to, they either imply or they come right out and say they believe that everybody is going to heaven when they die, and that all religions are just different paths to the same God in the same place. This is not what the Bible says at all. According to this and many other verses, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. I mean, there's numerous scriptures that say that. And Jesus said, if you don't believe I am He, I am the One, He said, you will die in your sins. Well, that doesn't sound like salvation, does it? And in fact, if you read other verses, the same words are used for everlasting destruction, everlasting, you know, fire that's not quenched, everlasting torment. The same word everlasting is used in referring to everlasting life. So no, there's another place besides heaven. There's another final destination and the only way to eternal life. Now, I think one thing that sometimes people have not understood is we're not just talking about existing forever because all spirit beings apparently exist on and on. We've been made from the father of spirits and that part of our being apparently does not cease to exist. It just keeps going on. But eternal life is being with the source of life, having life that God knows and has in us and experiencing life with him on and on, age after age. Whereas the scripture talks about individuals being destroyed, eternal destruction from the presence of God, being separated from God is spiritual death. 
spending an eternity apart from life is existing, but it's not living. Thank God we've been born again. Those that believe on him, if you haven't been, you're at the right place. It can happen before the service is over. He said, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Go with me, please, to the book of Hebrews and the second chapter. Hebrews chapter 2. Now, this is something, one of the main things that the Lord quickened to me about this series when we first began. The truth that is mentioned in this verse, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. It said, for as much as the children, talking about children of men, the children of Abraham and all of us, are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also himself likewise, took part of the same. That through death, why did Jesus die? Why did he need to die, have to die? Through death, Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. You know, the devil is real, but he's not what he cracks himself up to be. In fact, he's not even what he used to be. (laughs) He used to have the power of death. In the old covenant, he had the power of death. That's one reason that you don't, they didn't hear too much about the devil. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find out that the people, even God's people, they didn't hear much at all about the devil. They didn't know much about the devil. Why? Well, he had the power of death, and they didn't have any authority over him. They didn't have the name of Jesus. And so through through covenant keeping the old covenant and the mercy of God, he could keep them. But you don't see like you do in the New Testament. Why? Because when Jesus went to the heart of the earth and when he was raised from the dead, he stripped the devil of what he had. The Bible said he brought him to naught. And before he left, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. So you go. Hallelujah. Mark says, in my name, you'll cast out devils. In my name, you'll lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. In my name, authority is ours now. And the devil has lost the authority of death. Oh, it's, it's still in the earth. Of course, you can see it. But as 1 Corinthians 15 says, it's the last enemy that shall be put underfoot. It's just a matter of time until death itself is completely removed from any contact with any of us. And the Bible talks about in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no sorrow, no pain, no crying, no more death. Won't that be wonderful? That nothing that we're around dies anymore. It said that Jesus, through him becoming flesh and, and blood, and through him accepting death and dying on our behalf, that he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
deliver them. Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death, and he delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Said out loud, destroyed and delivered. This is what Jesus has done. He destroyed the enemy. Now, of course, we know he exists, but he ain't what he used to be. He's lost his authority and power. And because of that, those who know what has happened and fully believe it are delivered, completely delivered from the fear of death. If you're not delivered from the fear of death, which most of the planet is not, then you are all your lifetime subject to bondage, restrictions, limitations. And fear is a very subtle thing. There are all different degrees of it. When we say fear, a lot of times people think of, you know, full-blown panic and horror. But mild dread is also fear. It's just a much, much less degree of it. Mild dread is fear. And watch about making excuses for fear and worry and anxiety. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, I'm, it's not that I'm afraid. I'm, I'm just really concerned. <laughs> I'm just I'm just, you know, that, that bothers me. A lot of times it's a different word for fear. Fear's chewing on you. And one of the ways that you can realize, you and I, all of us, that we have gone past just thinking about something into fear is vexing. The Bible said fear has torment. If it's tormenting you, if it's vexing you in any degree, you're not just thinking about it, you're worrying about it. You're in anxiety. You are yielding to fear. And the big thing, all of the phobias that are known to man have their root in this one. It all comes back to this. When people say, I got a fear of flying. Nah, not really. You got a fear of crashing and dying. <laughs> well, I got a fear of the water. It's not just the water. You got a fear of drowning and dying. Well, I got a fear of being in close places. Nah, you got a fear of being smothered or something and dying. It all comes back to dying. And here's the thing. If we are afraid of the same things the world is afraid of, it means we are as faithless as they are. The difference is that if we're full of faith, we won't have the fear. We won't have the same fear. You know, Jesus told his disciples on one occasion, you know, when they're in the boat out on the lake, he said, uh, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Fearful, you could say full of fear and no faith. You can't be full of fear and full of faith at the same time. Can't be. If you're full of fear or almost full of fear, it means you almost don't have any faith. If you, uh, some, you know, he referred sometimes to people that had little faith. So they weren't completely full of fear. 
But if you're completely full of fear, then on this occasion he said, you have no faith. No faith. But turn it around. If you're full of faith, you have no fear. Can you see this, child of God? If you're full of faith, you have no fear. If you're full of faith, if you're fully persuaded, if you're completely convinced that my name's in the Lamb's book of life, that they're working on my mansion today, (laughs) and that to leave this life is not the end, that I go to be with the Lord. If I'm fully convinced of that, I no longer fear death. Now, there's a lot of people talk about this, but not nearly as many that are actually completely unafraid to die. If we're as afraid of death as unbelievers, that's a bad sign. It means concerning those things, we're as faithless as they are. I want you to notice with me in the book of uh, Isaiah, Turn there, please. The eighth chapter and the eleventh verse. He said, uh, The Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Now, let's just stop here. The New Testament, Romans 12, says the same thing. It says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed. What does that mean? Don't act like they act. Don't think like they think. Don't be the same. Verse 12. Say not a confederacy to all them whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Now, one part of sanctify is separate, distinguish, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Now, man, this is a great truth here. Just like faith, full of faith, displaces all fear, the fear of God displaces the fear of man. The scripture says in Proverbs that the fear of man brings a snare. Well, we saw that the fear of death makes one subject to bondage or being trapped or limited. Sanctify, separate the Lord of hosts himself. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Look in the Amplified on this. In the Amplified, verse 12 He said, don't call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. Neither be in fear of what they fear, nor make others afraid and in dread. In other words, don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. What is the world afraid of? They're afraid of loss. They're afraid of not having their needs met. They're afraid of not getting what they want. And what they are most afraid of is dying. Because if you're an unbeliever, you believe that's it. That's curtains. It's lights out. That death is irrecoverable, permanent loss. And if we fear what they fear, it means we're as faithless in that area as they are. Don't fear what they fear. 
Say it out loud. Don't fear what they fear. But verse 13 says, The Lord of hosts, regard him as holy. Honor his holy name. And let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. Lest you offend him by your fear of man and distrust of him, the Amplified says. Let him be your fear. Verse 14, And he shall be a sanctuary. Oh, thank you, Lord. He'll be a sanctuary. Somebody say, the Lord is my sanctuary. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my stronghold. I will not fear what man can do to me. Oh, praise God. You know, just saying that in faith, you can sense a surge come up in you. And what that is, is faith and light and life. And what it does is displace and push out all fear. It pushes out all dread. It pushes out the worry and the anxiety. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Because, you know, complete love casts out, thrusts out all fear because fear has torment. If we're still afraid, it means God's not real enough to us. It means we don't, how much he loves us, how much he cares about us is not real enough to us. You remember in Romans 8, the Spirit of God through Paul, I can hear him preaching in that. He said, what can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And he starts going through a list. Things present, things to come, principalities, powers, and he starts off by saying, life can't, death can't. Death can't what? Can't separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Well, that would make you unafraid of death, unafraid of dying. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Go with me, please, to the book of uh, Luke, I think it is. Thanks be to God. Luke 12 Luke 12, sometimes believers avoid certain scriptures because they don't like the way it sounds. But you know, scripture you don't like is either one you don't understand yet or one you're unwilling to do. <laughs> but uh, they're all good. They're all light. And the truth will do what for you? It'll make you free. Luke 12 and verse 4, look at what Jesus said that is so in line with what we just read in Isaiah. Luke 12, 4, Jesus said, I say to you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, they have no more that they can do. <laughs> this is higher thinking than most folks operate in. You know, Jesus said, the prophet, I should say, Spirit of God said through the prophet, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. These are some higher thoughts than most folks walk in. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those that kill the body. Now, how many people on the planet actually live like that? <laughs> Not too many, percentage-wise. How many people on the planet are afraid of somebody that could kill them? Or that might kill them? You know, most People on the planet. But Jesus said what? 
Don't be afraid. Don't do it. Don't be afraid of those that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Verse 5. I forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yea, I say, fear him. Fear him. Being so afraid of man means you're not aware enough of God. Being so concerned about what man thinks means you're not aware enough of what God knows. God sees the heart. He knows. And if I'm right with him, I won't be as upset and concerned about what other people think or say. And when I know that I'm I'm safe in him, I won't be so concerned about what anybody else could do. Because the worst anybody could do to me in this life is kill my body. But they didn't kill me. And, And dying physically is not even close to the worst thing that can happen to a human being. Because it's not the end. Being separated from God, rebelling against God, rejecting Jesus, refusing forgiveness and salvation, if the person only realized, they would be terrified of standing before the white throne judgment, their name not being found in the Lamb's book of life, being cast into the lake of fire with the devil and death and hell and his angels. That's what anybody should be terrified of. That's what anybody should be afraid of. Our God, whom we serve, is not some diluted fairy tale version that some people ascribe to do. He is awesome. He is, to the unbeliever, fearsome. The Bible said it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Bible said, uh, if you've been reading, you know, not too long ago in Revelation, that when the Lord takes the throne to execute judgment, the mountains are going to run from his face. I mean, you're talking about a being that uh, hardly any of us have any concept of how big he is, how powerful he is, how awesome he is. And without being saved in Christ, you would be terrified beyond speech, beyond movement. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know, if you're so terrified of things in this life and of people, it's because you don't know who God is. You don't know what's happening after this life. This life is the briefest thing we will ever do. It is, James says, a mist, a mist. And this is all we've known. And so it's not a surprise that we're pretty caught up in this. But the truth is, this is going to be over in just a few, a few clicks in a few days. And nothing that happens down here compares with eternity and the age after age of where you will be and what you will be doing. Jesus said, let's read it again, verse 4, don't be afraid, be not afraid of them that kill the body and after that 
have no more that they can do. Somebody said out loud, I am not afraid of anybody or anything that could hurt my body. That's not the end. And, and you know, people make threats and force people to do things on fear of them killing their body. And that's, that's because either don't believe or are not convinced of life after death, of everlasting life. Keep reading. He said, I forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yeah, I say to you, fear him. Keep reading. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Here he immediately begins to talk about how much God cares about us. The believer shouldn't be terrified of God. Now the unbeliever should be. And of life after, you know, what happens after this life. If you go out of here lost, it's the most terrifying thing there is. It is horrifying. But the believer should realize God cares about me. He loves me. I will not experience the wrath to come. And when I leave this body, I won't see death. I won't even taste death because Jesus already fully experienced it in my place. Verse 7, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. Keep going. Also I say to you, whoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man confess before the angels of God. But he that denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And this is what determines whether you have everlasting life or not. If you believe on him, anybody remember what Romans 10 talks about? If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you must not be intimidated by the fear of man to confess him. It's not okay to be a closet Christian and to hide your faith. You got to be willing to stand up in front of anybody and confess. Jesus hung on the cross for you in front of everybody. And you want him on that day in the future, you want him to claim you publicly. (laughs) You want him To claim you and confess you as his in front of the Father, in front of the judgment seat, in front of the angels. It's going to be some of the sweetest words you have ever heard in your existence. When the Lord Jesus himself calls your name and says, I know them, they are mine. Hallelujah. You've been faithful in a few things. Well done. Now I'm going to make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Woo! Glory to God. But there are others who will hear this. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Oh, oh, that's the most awful thing anybody could ever hear or imagine. And folks don't like to talk about it. But is it Bible? Is it Scripture just as much as the other? People should be terrified of leaving this life 
without God. People should be horrified, scared out of their minds of leaving this life lost. That is the worst thing that can happen to any human being. Not physically dying. Not even close. Oh, but friend, you don't have to be terrified. You can receive Jesus. You can receive him right now. It's a heart thing. You choose to believe. You choose to receive. You choose to bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus and confess him as your Savior. I think we ought to do it just right now. What do you think? Let's do it right now. Everybody, I don't care where you are, where you're watching, do this out loud. Do it out loud. Lift a hand up before the Lord and say it out loud, Father God, I acknowledge you as the creator of heavens and earth. I believe in you and I believe that you sent your son to pay the price for all my sins and that he died on the cross and accomplished this and that you have raised him from the dead never again to die that he is alive right now King of kings and Lord of lords forever. Jesus, I believe in you. I confess your name and that you are Lord over me, over my life forever. I receive you and all you have done for me. I receive the washing of the blood and the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for making me right in God's sight, saving me forever. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you really do that from your heart, if you really believe that, fear goes away. Dread of what happens at death leaves you. Hallelujah. You're not afraid of the world's Fear. You're not afraid of what they're afraid of. You're not scared of what they're scared of anymore. Why? You're not full of fear because you're full of faith. Praise God. Somebody say praise God. Praise God. Don't fear what they fear. Go with me to Philippians, please. Ah, Let's see, I'm moving a little bit too quick. Go to 2 Timothy first. 2 Timothy and the first chapter, and the seventh verse. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7. I want you to notice something. I, I've quoted this verse for years, but only uh, last night did I see what it was connected to in the next verse. You know, man, it really pays to read the verse before and to read the verse after. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Man, this is a, what a great truth. Well, who gave it to us then? If you're full of fear, you didn't get it from God. And it's a spirit, spirit of fear. Well, if it didn't come from God, it didn't come from the Holy Spirit. Where did it come from? It came from the enemy, the enemy of our souls. Said out loud, God has not given me the spirit of fear. But he has given me the spirit of power, spirit of love, 
and a sound mind. Oh, praise God. Being full of fear, you will not have a sound mind. Being full of fear makes one unstable. Unstable. But being full of power and love causes you to have sound mind. Peace passes understanding. Verse 8. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now you know this goes right in with what we just read that Jesus said. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed to confess me in front of men. Because of fear. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me as prisoner, but be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now let's stop here. We have been redeemed from sickness, from disease, from mental anguish and torment, from poverty and lack. We have not been redeemed from suffering, period. All suffering. We've been redeemed from suffering that. But the Bible said all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. Persecution. And we see in the days of the book of Acts, we see in the writings of the epistles and in history all the way up to this point, people have been maltreated and mistreated and abused and tortured and executed, beheaded, killed for their faith. We haven't been redeemed from that. In fact, that is a partaker of Christ's sufferings. You don't want to suffer for your own dumb mistakes. But if you suffer, if people mistreat you because of believing in Jesus or because of obeying his plan and will and word, there is reward for that. There is glory for that. Nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed of. Verse 9, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see what I mean by verse 7? God didn't give us the spirit of fear. And then just a couple of verses later. He's telling us that Jesus has abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light. This is the same thing that was said in Hebrews. That because Jesus took part of flesh and blood. And destroyed him that had the power of death. He has delivered us from the fear of death. He's delivered us. Why? By resurrection, by eternal life. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, has abolished death. Oh, somebody say he has abolished death. And he has brought life and immortality to light. And it's all through the gospel, through the good news. Let me read this to you in the Amplified. Verse 10, in the Amplified. It said, he has now made known and fully disclosed and made real to us through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who annulled death and made it of no effect and brought life and immortality, immunity from eternal death. And Revelation says that the second death has no power. 
over those who believe. He's brought it to light through the gospel. Oh, friend, when this is real to us, when we have become fully persuaded of this, all dread of the day we die and stop breathing will leave us. All fear of what happens at death will be gone. Hallelujah. And if you're not afraid to die, you are fully ready to live. You won't be overly cautious. You won't be over... Now, I'm not talking about doing dumb things, but you will be willing to step out, do anything and everything that you need to do. And somebody say, well, what if, what if I die while well, I'm, I'm trying to believe God? Well, friend, if Lord tears is coming, in a few days you are going to die one way or the other. And you don't want to die any other way than believing God. You want to come in in faith. You want to live in faith. You came into this new birth by faith. You want to live in faith and you want to go out in faith. That's the right way to die. In Philippians, notice with me. Philippians, the first chapter. Oh, this is shouting ground. This is such shouting ground. Philippians 1 verse 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, this is the opposite of fear, timidity, boldness. Boldness indicates faith and lack of fear. With all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. There is a way of dying that actually glorifies and magnifies Christ. There's a way of dying that doesn't glorify God. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. You know, Galatians talks about I, I'm crucified, and yet I'm alive in Christ. He is my life. I'm in him. To me to live is Christ. And to die is loss or gain. Is there a difference between loss and gain? You will notice that the opposite of that word is used in prevalence, even in Christian circles. Anytime somebody dies physically, what will you hear? Sorry for the loss. We lost them. How did they come out? No, they didn't make it. We lost them. Sorry for your loss. You'll hear it a hundred times at a funeral. The loss, the loss, the loss. Somebody says, well, you know, maybe they did lose them. Not in the truest sense of the word, not permanently. And they certainly, did. if they're a believer, they didn't lose. In any sense of the word, they gained. Gained. Gain. Sure, if we're not able to be with them, you know, maybe we'll miss them until we can see them again. But they didn't lose. We should be glad for their gain. Even if we miss them, we should be glad for their gain and we should look forward to seeing them again. Somebody say, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Gain. One of the things that will help you 
And, and don't just think, well, he's just being picky about words. Words matter. Don't refer, when people have left their bodies, no longer refer to the body as them. If you hear somebody say, well, we buried them over there. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You put their body over there. They had left it long before it was put in the casket. Well, where are they? Talking about where's the casket or where's the viewing? Where did you put them? Don't talk like that. Our minds need to be renewed. When somebody leaves the body, they're no longer there. They have departed to be with Christ, which is what? We're about to see it here. He said, for if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I wot not. I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is what? Which is what? Slightly better? No, the Bible does not exaggerate. Far better. What's far better? To actually be with Christ instead of just walking by faith down here in this curse-filled earth. To actually see him and hear him and hug him. That's better. Far better. And all of us will get to experience this soon and very soon. He went on to say, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, I know I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Now, this is important, too. If you really begin to be fully persuaded about what happens at the death of the body, you actually begin to look forward to it. But there are some folks who say, well, I I don't want to stay here anymore. I want to go today. Well, no, life is short as it is. And that's what Paul is saying, even though he has many years of ministry under his belt. And he's saying, man, I'm, you know, I'm good to go. I could be good to go right now and, and depart and be with Christ, which is far better and, and gain for me. He, but I'm paraphrasing. But, but looking at you, uh, you need help. And I can stay and help you more before I go. And so we see him making his decision that he's not going right now. He's going to stay longer. He has the sense, I haven't quite finished my course. And so we should love God enough that we can stick it out a few more days, a few more months, a few more years, whatever it is, until we finish here. It's it's going to be done soon enough. I mean, it is so brief anyway. You don't want to be robbed of things you could get eternal reward for by staying. So he said, I'm going I'm to abide. I'm going to stay and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation, your way of life, be as becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Now get this, no fear of any of the adversaries. Then you wouldn't be afraid of what they could do to you for believing in Christ, even if they killed you. 
nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you, in other words, an evident token of salvation, and that of God. Our complete lack of fear is actually a sign and a witness to unbelievers that God is real and that heaven is real and that judgment is real. How could we be so fearless unless something is real in our life? You know, the scripture says that we are to be always ready to give an answer to those that would ask us about the hope that we have within us. We shouldn't stumble around. Remember, we we should not be ashamed or timid at all to confess Jesus in front of people. And if people ask us, because if you really walk in this, people will think it's strange. Even church-going people will think it's strange that you're not afraid to die and that you don't just fall apart when a loved one dies and goes home to be with the Lord. I know uh, my dad had a miracle in his life. He's gone home to be with the Lord now, but he had this massive heart attack. And he actually stepped out of his house into his carport. And when he did, he said, man, he had this massive heart attack. And he said he was leaving here. He could tell he's leaving his body. And he said, he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, is it time for me to go? He said, the Lord said, no, you can stay. He said he began to fight to stay and began to fight to live, and he did. He, he came all the way back and lived for years and years. But uh, even though he came back, he'd had that thing happen with his heart, so he went to, to a heart specialist and doctor, and I went to see him, and the, the doctor called me aside privately and tried to put fear in me. Now, I thank God for good doctors. Don't misunderstand me. They are amazing. But this man tried to put fear in me. He said, do you not understand if your dad doesn't do this and doesn't do this and do this? He was trying to get him to do some things and my dad didn't want to do it. And he wanted me to push him and force him to do it. And I said, well, you know, he's his own man. He makes his own decisions. He may not do those things. He leaned in. He looked at me. He said, do you not understand? He'll die. And I said, he's not afraid to die. And when I said that, the man sat back in his chair. He looked like he didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to respond. I said, he's not afraid to die. We're not afraid to die. And it was an evident token of something. He just looked at me, baffled. I said, you know, I'll tell him what you said, and we'll talk about it. But, you know, we're all going to die sometime. He's not afraid to die. This Fear of death is a tormenting thing. It is a bondage thing, like we read in Hebrews. And there is no escaping the bondage and restriction and torture and torment of this fear. You cannot find any escape from it anywhere in the world, in any kind of philosophy, in anything you may do. It is only found in one place only. One, because of faith in Jesus and receiving him like we all just affirmed or reaffirmed, you can know that you have eternal life. And when you know 
that you have eternal life, you're no longer afraid to die. Somebody say, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.